0: Welcome to Never Buy the Book Podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Scholz. At 24, I was dead broke and a full-blown alcoholic. By age 40, I was completely out of debt and financially free. Now I share my secrets of success and transformation with audiences around the world as an author, speaker, success mentor, and of course, your podcast host. Each Never Buy the Book episode features a guest who has overcome obstacles to build an incredible life of fulfillment. Today's guest is Ed O'Connell, who has overcome more obstacles than most people would ever know. We had so much to talk about, we broke our conversation into two parts. Part one begins with Ed's journey to hell and back. Part two begins with sobriety and ends with Ed's journey to financial freedom. You're one of the first people I ever met through the Service Roundtable. Yeah, okay.
1: <laughs> and, and you stayed. And I, st- and I stayed,
0: yes. Well, you know what? Because you made such an impact on me and our stories were so similar. I was like, you know what? I think I like this guy and I like this, uh, this program as well. So we met Paul, your, your manager at the time. We met you guys. You guys made a big impact on my manager at the time as well. Part of it was because of your story. When you're facing adversity and stuff, you always think, oh, I got it so bad until you hear somebody else's story.
1: For all I've been through, I mean, I really don't feel like I've overcome that much. If I've had to overcome anything, it was, I was diagnosed way back when with uh, dyscalculia, which is basically, what do you call it when you mix the words up? uh,
0: Dyslexia?
1: um, Dyslexia. It's dyslexia with numbers. Okay. Okay. I do not to this day do not know how to add two and two. I know the answer is four yeah. because I memorize that. I, I can't look at a two and a two and come up with four. I, I can't, to this day I can't. I just mix everything up. If I've had to overcome anything, especially when get when I got into business, it was that that piece. I just couldn't, right. and I almost yeah. got divorced over some of the arguments we had because I could not understand the uh, the numbers, which is the mm-hmm. language of business. But but as far as the alcohol and everything else. When it was either get well or die.
0: Yeah. So you you and I were talking recently, and and you said one thing was you had a good childhood. You know, a lot of people that go through alcoholism or drug addiction or something, they don't have good childhoods.
1: Well, I just think I'm living proof that alcoholism really is a disease. Mm-hmm. I developed issues, if you want to call them those, because I was drinking, but I didn't have the the issues didn't cause the drinking. Right. I mean, you put that stuff in my body and I just wanted more and more. I could never get enough. And the addiction was so overwhelming that Mm -hmm. and how I didn't die. I have no idea. No (laughs) idea how I didn't die.
0: Yeah. Well, that makes two of us. I mean, what? Oh, I made it to 40. Okay. well, now am I going to make it to 50, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm looking at 90. But if I can make it to 90, I'll be happy. So there you go. Did you go out for your mountain bike ride this morning? I did. I, uh, there's a place called uh, Stagecoach, and okay. uh, it's within riding distance from here. And it's a real steep hill, and I just love doing it because when I get done, I feel like I've done something. Yeah, you know, it really helps my balance. I think older people, the people when they get older, they lose their balance. Right. My balance is great. I still ride my motorcycle, ride my mountain bike, kayak, fish, all that kind of stuff. So,
0: body in motion yeah. stays in motion, right? That
1: well put. Yeah, that's a that's yeah. a great adage. Yeah. yeah.
0: Ed, I'd, I'd love for you to tell my audience a little of your past and wh- where you came from, what you've been through. I know when, when you told me your story, it really resonated with me. You have
1: a great childhood, but
0: how did you get tied up into drinking and going down the wrong path?
1: I guess if you want to say it, I, I started drinking when I was an altar boy. I used to come in early to set up all the stuff for 6 a.m. Mass, and I used to sneak drinks of the priest's mm-hmm. wine. So uh, I was sort of giving myself a little head start, and, uh, and that was in grade school. And a little by little by little, it took over. I drank through high school, even though I was a hell of a basketball player. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still drank on weekends when I wasn't playing ball. I, I drank a little bit when I got into college, but it's when I lost my uh, my basketball scholarship that it really took off. And uh, how did you lose late- your scholarship? Well, I, I was playing uh, basketball. Over to University of Hawaii and I got submarined and blew my knee out. And back then, well, I don't know if it was a Catholic thing or not, because it was a private school and we had to pay our way, but I lost my scholarship. I they weren't gonna pay for me anymore. Today I could sue them, but back then it was a <laughs> yeah. whole, you know, back then it was a whole different story. That's that's when uh my a friend of mine, Rich Ongro, I showed you his picture, he got me a job with his dad at a plumbing company. Mm-hmm. It was during the summers working for the plumbing company that I really started to drink. And then it got pretty bad, but it wasn't uncontrollable until uh, 1968, uh, when the Pueblo crisis hit America. And uh, I got recalled into the service. I was a, a lieutenant in the Air Force. I didn't have too much of a good career. I went in as a lieutenant and came out as an airman basic. But I did get an honorable discharge. Um, during that time, I, I just it was one of the worst times in America, as far as I was concerned, almost as bad as it is now, with the divisiveness. And I won't get into politics, but the divisiveness is horrible in this country right now. And, and that's the way it was back then. If you didn't live through it, you really don't understand it. But I went to Vietnam in a lot of what they call TDYs, temporary duty deals. That there's a whole story behind that. I had a chief master sergeant and a captain that were actually running Officer records, and they were both more alcoholic than I was. So they would sign anything I put before them
0: because mm-hmm.
1: they were every day they were drinking. So I pretty much had free reign. So I would give myself these uh, temporary duty orders to go to Vietnam because I got extra pay. Do you want me to get into the drug stuff too?
0: <laughs> sure, sure. I mean, you know, we're here to help the audience to to see that doesn't matter well, what you go through, you can get out on the other side.
1: Yeah, well, it, when I went over, a couple times when I went over, I noticed that coming back, nobody uh, on the planes, There were we'd go to Hawaii first and then and then to uh, wherever we were going, Vietnam, uh, lots of air bases there. And I noticed that when nobody was checking the big duffel bags as mm-hmm. we were getting off the plane, I got my guys, I started writing temporary duty orders for all the other guys in, in the 349th military airlift plane. I gave him uh, $500 if they would go to a guy by the name of Anton Sousa, who was a captain in the army that I, I knew pretty well. He would set them up with these duffel bags full of hash and marijuana. They'd come back. I'd give them $500 for every bag they brought back. Nobody ever checked. Wow. And they were all wrapped in plastic, so you couldn't smell anything. You know, yeah. it was uh, it was real clean. I was making more money than I knew what to do with back then. I was, you know, if I if I hadn't have been so messed up, I I wouldn't have had to be a plumber. <laughs> <laughs> but it was that's the that's the time when I really went over the edge with the drinking and the drugs. Yeah. And that's why I lost my commission. And that plus I had a little difficulty with authority. I right? mm-hmm. don't tell me what to do right you know? <laughs> <laughs> Tell me what, what not to do, and I'll do what. The opposite. Yeah. Is, I, put yeah. it that way. I mean, I had a great childhood. We grew up poor, but not the kind of poor that uh, you knew you were poor. You know, mm-hmm. we, we just didn't eat meat unless we hunted it. Right. So we hunted and fished. And uh, my brother and I actually helped my dad break horses in Marin County when Marin County was real rural. It wasn't what it is today. So that's the kind of childhood I had. Uh, so there was no reason for me to get all messed up drinking and, and drugging. That I, I I got involved uh, because I saw all the the stuff in Vietnam that was so horrendous. I mean, there were staff sergeants there that were triple millionaires because they were dealing in the black market stuff oh, wow. like that. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it was it, it was so immoral, ill, it, unlawful. What was going on? Some of the times I'd I'd fly in, the guys would kick half the cargo out the back of the plane as we were approaching the landing area, it would fall outside the air base and nobody would ever know the difference because uh, it just got lost in the paperwork. Yeah. I, I can't explain it, but, and it takes too long. It's all <laughs> malarkey anyway, but that's the kind of stuff I saw. So I, I got to be in the anti-war movement and uh, um, I was actually arrested for wearing my uniform at a peace march. And that's how I lost my commission. I cut a deal with the JAG, the Judge Advocates uh, in the military, myself and a bunch of other guys. We had actually subpoenaed the then Secretary of State Laird to come out to federal court in San Francisco because we said our recall was unlawful. I mean, it was just yeah, this is so full of malarkey and BS. You know, it's like you know, I didn't anyway. Make a long story short, um, they said, well, if you'll drop the suit. And give up your commission, we'll give you an honorable discharge as an airman basic, and you, you, we'll just part ways. And that's that's what happened. Okay. So so uh, I had pretty good military service. I enjoyed the military. I really did. But I was really too drunk to take advantage of it and, and too stoned most of the time. And that's when, you know, I just, and, and I had no really good role models either with my mm-hmm. captain and my chief master sergeant. I, are you familiar with the military at all? No. Well, the chief mattress sergeant had stripes starting at his shoulder and it ended right. up at his elbow. I mean, they, he had more experience than that. his name was Barkley, and the captain's uh, name was Genther. I, even today, I remember that. It was like so yeah. long ago. <laughs> After I had met my first wife uh, while I was in the service, and we were kind of like hippies. Like I can't explain yeah. it. We got married. It didn't. We had one one daughter who still is the apple of my eye. It didn't last because my alcoholism about a year after I got out of the service, she divorced me. Uh, and that's when I hit the street, the streets uh, about nine. I got out in 1969 and hit the streets about 1970. The streets and of San Francisco, correct? All over. I San Francisco was just one little part. I was, okay. I just roamed around like a nomad. I was homeless. I was, uh, yeah. ba- uh, you know, hobo homeless back then. The romantic part was hobo. You know? yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I moved all over the place, got in all kinds of trouble. Everything from robbing convenience stores to uh, being caught with guns, drug deals gone south. And eventually uh, I, I got caught. In fact, I, it wasn't. I was back in San Francisco and I got mm-hmm. caught selling drugs. You have to remember during the 70s, San Francisco was was so liberal that it makes a liberal person today look like a conservative. Oh, wow. uh, I was that liberal. Um, I got this deal from a, a judge to, that if I went into his drug drug culture, drug outfit, drug cult called Synanon, uh, for two years, uh, I wouldn't have any felonies when I got out. Before that, I got involved with Jim Jones in his okay. outfit, you know, the People's Temple. Oh yeah. That whole Guyana thing. I I, I just missed going down there by that much. But but he helped a lot of people before he went south. You know, that old saying, power corrupts absolute power corrupts absolutely. Right. I was involved with that for a while. Then I was in jail for maybe six months until I was able to get into Synodon. And I went in there, stayed there for two years. That probably saved my life because that's the only time during the 10-year, during the 70s that I was mm-hmm. sober. And uh, then I got out of Synanon and and it went all downhill from there. It was just.
0: How did you finally sober up and and make a change and decide that that wasn't the path you wanted to go on?
1: Well, I had nothing to do with the choice. I'll put it that way there. You know, there's an old uh, song or saying or, you know, I've been down so long. It looks like up to me. Yeah. I I lived on the streets after I got out of Synanon. It was about four more years before I came off the streets. and. And it was just a downhill all the way. That's when I got into all the legal trouble, robbing this and doing this. And I don't want to tell you all the evil things I did because I'm not proud of that. Right. Just let's say it was a lot of garbage. I ended up back in San Francisco somehow. Mm-hmm. San Francisco, you know, I was born in San Francisco. I ended up back in San Francisco. Uh, I got involved with the anti-war movement in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. I got involved with hippies in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And now I ended up back in San Francisco. I think I was like an elephant going to the... Well, it's a burial ground to die yeah. yeah well i was up on market street are you familiar with san francisco a little bit well market street's one of the the main thoroughfares in san francisco it's where all the tourists end up one way or another yeah. so i'm up there urinating in public and this cop comes up to me and he says god damn it you guys he spun me around and he says don't Pee up here on Market Street. Go down to Fifth and Mission. It's only two blocks down there. There's, there's no tourists down there. And pee all you want down there. And as he spun me around, he said he, there was a knife sticking in my side. I didn't even know it was there. Oh wow! Uh, and and he, and all I can remember was he went oh shit. So now I've got now instead of just sending you down to Fifth and Mission, I I, I got to do all this paperwork. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I, they, they called an ambulance and they sent me to San Francisco General, which is probably uh, it, it's a meat market, put it that mm-hmm. way. There, maybe it's better today, but it was you. You didn't go to San Francisco General Hospital voluntarily, right? So I end up there. Um, they printed me because I couldn't talk. I mean, I was just out of it. Uh, I weighed 116 pounds. Uh, I was dehydrated. I had long mm-hmm. Long, greasy hair, beard. I mean, I couldn't see out of my left eye. Uh, I, uh, I, I, My jaw was broken. So I used to talk like this. That's what I used to talk because okay. my jaw had been yeah. broken. Couldn't see out of my left eye. But I was... You <laughs> were well, a mess. I a of, huh? That was a mess, yeah. <laughs> so they printed me and found out I was a, a vet. And they, and they all went, oh, great, we get rid of them. So they sent me over... To so the Veterans Administration Hospital at Lands End in, in San Francisco, and uh, they—I I was so far gone mm-hmm. that they—they they let me go through their 30-day program two times. I, I was there for 60 <laughs> days, and um, I was going to go back out on the street because if you're in the hospital, the VA gives you something like back then it was about 250 bucks when you leave as sort of salt, salt right. money to get. And uh, just before I was about to go back on the streets, uh, I met this woman. Her name was uh, Lynn Elliott, and Lynn said, "You know, she's a big, heavy woman. She weighed almost three hundred pounds." Mm-hmm. She goes, "O'Connell, I'll make you a deal." She says, "If anybody like you can get well, I- I'll lose the weight." And and that was some kind of a challenge went off yeah. in my mind, and I said, "Well, how am I going to do this?" <laughs> And she says, "Well, you got to go to the VA outpatient program, and I'm going to get you into a halfway house, uh, of all places, up on Haight Street, the Hate Ashbury in San Francisco. Okay,
0: Yep. And
1: it was called the uh, Alcoholic Rehabilitation Association. So there were there were some things that happened up there that helped me along. Um, uh, but uh, Lynn actually started to lose weight, and she's lost the weight and stayed." lost all that weight and stayed that way forever. And, and I stayed sober. Well, look uh, at that. Two people got helped. Two, two people got <laughs> healthy. Yeah. 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 And uh, so in the ARA house, the big change came because I still, I I was, they made you go to AA. And so I was going to AA and uh, uh, but I wasn't sold and I was, I was, and this gets a little emotional for me. I was going to, I was going out. I said, I've had it. I I can't do this. I I, I said, I'm I'm happier when I'm drinking and robbing mm-hmm. people, you know? Right. It's just sobriety stuff. It was torture. The first. First getting off those streets. You yeah. Know?
0: So. Well, you got to learn a whole new system, don't you?
1: Yeah. Yeah. You got to, it, it's like being reborn. Yeah. You're, you're like a little kid. I mean, I, I didn't even know that Nixon had been president when I came off the streets, you know? Or Carter, I think, or whoever the presidents were during right. the 70s. Anyway, I uh, the, the change came when uh, I didn't go to an AA meeting one time. I missed a couple that I normally went to. Uh, mm-hmm. and I was forced to by by uh, a judge and forced to by to live in the in the halfway house. Uh, so I went back the third week. I went back just got nothing to do. And uh, a couple of people came up to me and they said, Oh, where in the hell you've been? We're, we've been worried the hell about you. Mm-hmm. And and uh something, something happened inside of me. And I still get a little, little choked up about this here. I I didn't I had lived my life for so long with without thinking that anybody but, gave a damn about me,
0: you know, yeah.
1: that when this happened. I had to leave i i left the, I, le- I went for this i'll never forget it i, I had to leave I be tears in my eyes i was crying like a baby <clears throat> and i walked i ended up down in the embarcadero in san francisco and uh, I, I i didn't even know how i got there i it was just walked yeah. all over the city and uh i looked at the clock I went, uh now i'm now i'm screwed uh, i because i missed curfew with the halfway house mm-hmm. So I was able to get a cab and, and go back to the halfway house and I walked in in this. She's a little Irish lady, ran the place. She's tough as nails. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, she me that time. <laughs> anyway, she uh she says, Well, it looks like you're gonna have to where are you going, O'Connell? And I said, Well, I'm I'm going to pack my bags. I know I blew curfew, I'm getting out of here. I figured it was all over. Right. And she says, Well, wait a minute, let let's have a let's have a house meeting. So she got all the people that lived in the house. And and they said, what happened to you? And I told them as best I could. And it was one of the first times I was ever really honest. Because I hated, I, I thought that was soft. Yeah. I hated being soft. You know, so so I uh I told them what happened, just straight out. They took a vote and they let me stay. And she says, you know, this is the first time in a long time we've ever let anybody stay. But it, you know, it, by telling the truth, it looks like you get another chance. And that was it. That was the little click. Two people coming up to me. I, yeah. It was a guy and his girlfriend, and they they said they were worried about me. I hadn't I hadn't thought about anything. I hadn't, Well, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Well,
0: and here's something I want my audience to think about: is you said you were forced to. I truly don't believe you were forced to. You could have went back to prison. Yeah. I mean, life is about choices, and you could have said, "No, I'm not
1: going to do this." And yeah, that's true. Uh, I don't think going back to prison. Uh, I don't think that that's a good analogy. I think going back to the streets. Yeah, I could you, have made a choice to go back to the streets. Back to the streets. Yeah, yeah which probably would have got you back to prison eventually. Well, no, I don't, I don't think so because you, <laughs> you know there were so. no, no computers then. Okay. You you could commit a crime in San Francisco, go down to South San Francisco, yeah. commit the same crime, and then down to San Jose and then yeah. down to San Diego, and nobody would ever connect you. Okay. There were just no computers yeah. back then. Yeah. So I think I could have gone back on the streets and just died there. Yeah. But you're right. At, the, I, at that moment that, that that change happened to me with those two people, that's where I made the decision and without consciously making it. That's when I right. made the decision to stay. Right. That and then letting me stay at the halfway house.
0: Well, and that was probably your rock bottom. It was probably you were you didn't want to deal with that anymore. You, it was time to make the changes. And who? How do you make the changes?
1: Yeah, uh, you know the endorphin rush of, of uh, somebody caring about you is it's it was stronger than the endorphin rush I was getting out of drugs and alcohol. Yeah. From that point on, my life's been about community.
0: Thanks so much for listening to Never by the Book. Share it with someone you care about. And don't forget to subscribe through your favorite podcast app so you'll never miss an episode. As we close, remember, if you aren't doing it by the book, it might just mean you're to something great. Until next time, be great.